Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I thought that was so great because that's a little bit of Adina Menzel from Wicked, The Wizard and I, because I was thinking about that. Rob Copeland has written a fabulous book. He's a finance reporter for the New York Times. He was previously the longtime hedge fund beat reporter at the Wall Street Journal. He's appeared on a lot of television shows. He's a, he's a guy who doesn't believe in just scratching the surface. And I've often thought of Ray Dalio of Bridgewater here in Fairfield County as a kind of a wizard. He hides behind a curtain. He's got this mystique. Uh, he, he reminds me of um, Scientologists with the auditing process and being clear and everybody around you criticizing you and looking at your every word. But on the other hand, you can't deny the man's extraordinary financial success and uh, – and the fact is that we have been reporting that he has been reluctant to deliver the keys to the kingdom to anybody else because like so many self-made successful people, you start to think of yourself as not only invincible but completely indispensable. And Rob Copeland has written a book that I thought we really needed to get into because here in Fairfield County, we have many people that are currently employed by Bridgewater or formerly employed by Bridgewater. A lot of their real estate is now being um, – changed around the land use decisions with respect to office buildings they've occupied right now, the subject of a big housing controversial project in Westport. Rob Copeland, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Do you like what I said about the wizard? I, well, I've used the metaphor myself before, too, but I've never done it with, uh, with the wizard and I in the background. So Yeah, but uh, that's what's good, right? The wizard and I. Yeah, I love it. So, Rob... Good. Tell us, tell us a little bit about why did you set your sights on Ray Dalio? Well, what interests me, honestly, was that Ray has become so famous 
not just in Fairfield County, but, you know, across the world as for his so-called radical transparency and these so-called principles. And the more I was reporting around the firm, I just realized that the stories that Ray was telling about what goes on at Bridgewater and what still goes on today, it was just a complete um, close to fiction um, compared to, you know, the 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 truth of the, of the matter. So I've just spent a, a number of years just speaking to people inside and outside of Bridgewater. You know, what is this super famous egomaniac hedge fund philosopher king, you know, really like? Oh, boy. You're saying that what he said about himself and the principles he espouses, are you saying it's do as I say, but not as I really do? Um, absolutely. I mean, it's like Animal Farm. Some animals are, are more equal th- than others. The, the the key is that, you know, Ray for many years now has, has said almost nothing about, you know, you mentioned him being so wealthy. He, he said almost nothing about investing or about the reasons why he became so rich. He really just talks about this pseudo self-help philosophy, uh, the, the principles, um, and, and it's a it's a complete farce. So how did he become so rich? Let's hear the real story, Ray Copeland. So here's the here's the truth. You you said Ray is a self-made man, and it's yeah. true. He's he's a very talented guy. He's a, a great marketer. But um, as I found out in reporting the book, he actually has had a, a lot of help along along the way. He ingratiated himself as a as a teenager to a New York family that a uh, very wealthy family that helped him a lot. And then he never mentioned uh, their help. Never gives them credit for it. Um, He marries into the Vanderbilt Whitney family, uh, never gives his wife credit for the great uh, help that that she she gave him. Um, To Ray, everything has to be credited to Ray because um, suggesting um, that is anything other than him and his his principles uh, would sort of dilute the image he's created of himself. I didn't know that he married an heiress. Absolutely. They're still married. Right. I had no idea that she was an heiress. I mean, we know Governor Lamont is married to one of the most talented investors in the country, right? I mean, and he's proud of her and they walk around together and she's a big contributor to his success. I had no idea anything about Ray Dahlia's wife other than she was his wife. That's all. Well, and you know, I grew up in Fairfield County. I grew up in Stanford and I'm, I I've grew up around a lot of people who had a lot of help and that's completely fine. I, I think it's something entirely different when you try to pretend that you did it all on your own. Um, I think we all know people like that in our lives. So, and what was this family in New York? Tell me about that. They're the the Libes. Um, it was a, an old time family that um, that lived uh, on Park Avenue. Um, that you know played golf at um, at a golf club that uh, Ray was a caddy at. Um, so he likes to say that he got tips on the golf course and that that taught him investing. But what he doesn't say is that he was spending, you know, Thanksgivings with this very wealthy family um, and that, you know, they uh, they helped him get his job on the New York Stock Exchange early in his career. And he sort of became their surrogate son. Um, remember, if he admitted all of this, um, it would it would sort of distract from the idea that he came up with these principles and that that's the reason for his his success. Um, so he just ignores it. So we're chatting with Rob Copeland. Tell us a little bit about Ray Dalio's early life. How did he grow up, and was he close to his parents, his siblings? What, what was, you know, what, what's your psychological take, and what were his beginnings? So he was an only child. Um, his father was a jazz musician, uh, so his father uh, worked late uh, in in uh, New York, and Ray lived on Long Island. Um, 
he wasn't an extraordinary student, um, but he uh, he sort of has a, a great charm even to this day. I mean, he's a great storyteller. Um, and his, his mom passed away, uh, I believe, when he was a teenager. Mm, um, and um, it is. Uh, but, but he did. Uh, th- these are seminal moments in his life um, that I think contribute to uh, the principles he comes up with later, which include one of his famous ones, pain plus reflection equals progress. I think that for Ray earlier um, in his life, pain did lead to reflection and progress. The problem is that the the person that Ray would become decades later is that he was the person who was producing pain for you, um, for for his own progress. Um, So he sort of has a warped um, sense of reality there. So he starts out on the New York Stock Exchange. And is it relatively early on that he decides he's going to start his own hedge fund, or has he already become a multimillionaire several times over before doing that? Uh, no, he starts his own company uh, in his in his mid twenties. He was not um, tremendously wealthy, um, though of course his wife was. Um, and the the first iteration of Bridgewater fails, like like many companies. It was more of a import export business. Um, and then he starts to devote himself to economic research and to um, sort of wooing these very wealthy individuals and institutions um, with this idea that he has studied history um, and that he can help you make better investment decisions thanks to how closely he studied um, sort of the patterns. And I, I want to give him credit here. You know, in the early 80s, very successful, very wealthy traders, they still claim to sort of you know, trust their instinct. They claim to be able to like feel something about it, and and Ray, to his credit, um, knew that there was a there was an edge in being able to say that it was based on something other than just um, your own uh, gut. Well, a lot of times that gut was insider trading tips. Who are we kidding, Rob Copeland? I mean, seriously. Well, I've written about some of those funds in Fairfield County too, for right. sure. I mean, come on. Uh, we're chatting with Rob Copeland. Tell me a little bit about Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio. Uh, tell me a little bit about the um, this idea of radical transparency, which to me, and the book is called The Fun, by the way, to me, it sounded so much like this auditing concept of Scientologists. But maybe I'm crazy. I've never been a Scientologist. But it seemed like that to me. Tell me about this. Well, there are, there are definitely some similarities. At, at Bridgewater, everything is taped. Um, and it's called radical transparency, um, which means that even this conversation, a, a one-on-one conversation in a conference room might be taped, and the tape would be uploaded to what they call the transparency library, which sounds very scientology Doesn't it? Um, it does. And, and then so that everyone at the firm can then go listen to anything um, afterwards and sort of complain and critique how we did our jobs. Um, that's not crazy on its face. Probably there's probably an element to that. Um, oh, I which, would find it totally creepy and invasive. I couldn't work in a work environment like that personally. But keep going. Well, many people can't. So you'd yeah. be in good. Um, but it, the yeah. problem is, it becomes an excuse for then. You know, Ray goes into these libraries, these tapes, and he starts editing them uh, to make people look even worse. And then he makes case studies to embarrass them. And he, one of his principles, which is very Scientology-esque, is. People have to be willing to humiliate themselves to get at the truth. And it's, it's a very dangerous line, you know, to say that, that your goal is the truth, not just, not just better performance, but Ray Dalio owns nothing short of the truth. Um, and so that's really the majority of the fund is really about his, his management style and how this sort of evolves and is weaponized 
um, and, and the real-life consequences for real people who, you know, fly too close to the sun. Yeah, tell us a little bit of a story or two. We're chatting with Rob Copeland. He wrote a book called The Fund, a very, very renowned uh, financial reporter of many years, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. He takes apart Ray Dalio and the mystique of Bridgewater. Give us some real-life examples, one or two, of people who whose lives were not what they expected because they were with Bridgewater. Sure. Well, at, at Bridgewater, everyone uh, rates one another on these sort of personality categories. So even right now uh, in this conversation, we would be rating each other on how, how well it was going. Um, now, the problem is that uh, since everyone can see our ratings, there can be sort of a pile-on effect. And Ray's ratings sort of carried the most weight. Mm. So how this would manifest is, for instance, Ray – at one point was at a, a whiteboard um, and he tries to erase uh, the, the marker and it doesn't erase well. And he turns this into a multi-month trial of the facilities people whose job it was to buy the whiteboard. And he's hauling them in for questioning and taping them and rating them poorly and having everyone criticize them. And um, he's, he's creating, you know, uh, case studies of this. Now at the end of it, it's not even clear that there was anything wrong with the whiteboard. It's just an excuse. He might have just picked up the wrong marker, um, but it's, it is an excuse to sort of uh, humiliate and to probe and, as he puts it, diagnose those around him. Um, you, you might ask, you know, why would someone stay for this? You, mm. you, I, I think it's easy to listen to something and say, like, well, I would just leave. But remember that Ray and the principals, they're offering you nothing less than a higher level version of yourself. He's saying these principles are what made me rich. So people put up with it um, because they'd be giving up on the chance to, you know, to achieve a fortune. And that's the one major difference between this and Scientology. At Scientology, um, there's no fat paycheck. Um, But at Bridgewater, you put up with all this and they pay you. Well, I mean, the difference is it depends what you consider to be what your goal is, right? So someone like Scientology may want to achieve salvation or enlightenment. These people just want to get rich. But whatever it is, it's the promise of that of that goal, that that's the success. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Right, whatever it is. Exactly. And remember, the enlightenment in this case is a chance to, um, you know, sort of conquer your emotions in the way that Ray always talks about. Um, It it is another uh, case that he makes where he he tapes a woman sobbing, sobbing, truly, um, while he's interrogating her over uh, her job performance. And he sends out uh, sort of a smut film of this um, where she's crying. And they show this to um, 
to job candidates and they say, would you be okay with working at a place? But what he never tells anyone is that she was pregnant the whole time. Oh. So she's not she's not just crying because uh, her boss is in her face. She's she's literally physiologically um, like in that moment in her life. Um, and he never to this day has not admitted it, even though it's in the book and even though it, it is true. He can't admit that this is this is the real life consequence of his behavior. Is he known in his own in other words, for the people who work for him and with him, do they think of him as a sadistic man? Well, look, I would say no one at Bridgewater, past or present, quite buys into the myth of Ray Dalio except for Ray Dalio. Um, there are definitely degrees where people will say that the, the principals help them in various moments in their life. Um, but the, the people around him, you know, this is a firm that recruits very heavily from new college graduates. These are people with not a lot of sense of what a workplace uh, should or can be like. Um, and these are people who are being paid, you know, in one case, you know, he hires Jim Comey. It has a few chapters in the book. And Jim Comey is being paid $7 million a year. So I've spoken to many people who know uh, about Jim Comey's time there. Jim Comey didn't buy into it for one second. But, but you but say he sure- that he kneeled. Did he really kneel? He kneeled, absolutely. This is, what do you uh, mean in, he kneeled? In, in Rob Copeland, you have to explain this to us, how the former FBI director of the United States kneels in front of somebody. What? Well, when Ray Dalio tells Jim Comey, you have to investigate this woman for not bringing in bagels on the correct day in the office. Jim Comey jumps at the chance, and he does it, and he tears into this woman's life, um, and he reads her dating profile, and he, he, he really treats this as an excuse to just – uh, to, to, to just go into every aspect of her, her personal life, and she is eventually fired. So to Jim Comey, kneeling is taking the money and um, uh, you know, using the full brunt of the guy that pretty much everyone now um, has a reason to hate. But he didn't actually kneel. Did he physically kneel? I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, doubt, he, I doubt he physically So kneeled. you were saying metaphorically he was willing to do whatever it took to keep that $7 million a year? Absolutely. Wow, that's a damning indictment. Rob Copeland is with us, 203-333-9422. Rob, did you say you grew up in Fairfield County? Did I hear that? I grew up in Stanford, yes. Grew up in Stanford. Okay, so when you were growing up, had you heard of Bridgewater? Was it in the ether? It wasn't, and that's such a fascinating thing about Bridgewater is that it's such a sort of closed society, and it operates off the grid. Um, the I had heard of you know SAC Steve Cohen's sure. firm in, in Stanford because they sponsored the Stanford Hospital. So anytime uh, I wound up going to the doctor's office, you know I walked past a big plaques of it. But Bridgewater really it, they, they do a lot to stay secret, and that's part of what made this um, this book such a, a journey to, to complete. Is Ray Dalio a philanthropic guy? And I want to ask this by reminding our audience of the nightmarish episode. So what happened was Ray Dalio and his wife offered to give, offered to contribute one-third of a $300 million fund to the state of Connecticut. They were willing to give $100 million in order to improve education. And they had a bit of hubris attached to it. And what happened was, and I had a very good friend who was in the legislature at the time, Gail Laviel, she was one of the few people who said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can give whatever you want, but this is still public money. And everything is still going to be public, and the hearings are going to be public, and you're not going to be able to spend the money privately. And what happened was he got so upset, he took up his marbles, and he said, we're not giving the $100 million. I'll never forget that. So, which seemed like chump change to the rest of us for a guy who's worth as much as he's worth. 
Um, and it seemed to me to be uh, spite and ego uh, and not really about trying to improve education in the state of Connecticut. If he couldn't have it his way, he couldn't ha- you know, we couldn't have the money. And that's what happened. And I'm wondering, number one, is, is this story consistent with what you think is his character? And number two, is Ray Dalio a philanthropic person? Well, the answer is, uh, is yes, it is consistent with his, his character. Uh, this is a guy who spends a great deal of time talking about how much he doesn't care about money and how wealth is just a side effect. Um, and I think, you know, we all roll our eyes when we hear t- people worth $20 billion yeah, really. who own the most expensive home in Connecticut yeah. um, who uh, don't care about wealth. But he, he wields the wealth over people, um, just as he did in that Connecticut episode. Um, so far as philanthropic goes, I mean, Ray seems to like a philanthropy that involves him getting on his yacht um, and uh, going on his submarines and diving into the ocean. Um, he has this company called Ocean X, um, which is for uh, exploration. There's a, an, actually an episode. He, he gets into an argument at, at one point, not in the book, but um, he gets into an argument with a, a Westport take back the night rally um, uh, back in the day, just a, a woman who was raising money. Um, he, he doesn't like to be hit up. He doesn't, um, he doesn't seem to, uh, to like to do things on someone else's terms. Um, so just, just a pure giving money with no strings attached, um, there's, there's not a lot of examples of that. In, but that you I know that he is the founder of the Greenwich Annual Party, and that's where I met him. I met him a couple of times there. He was the anonymous, for many years anonymous, I think after eight years or so it became known that he was doing it, there's a townwide party in Greenwich every single summer with typically extraordinarily expensive and notable music acts that come there. It's a two or three day festival only for Greenwich residents. And it was sponsored by him. And he, I mean, and he did it anonymously for quite a number of years before it came out that he was the one behind it. And the town absolutely loved it and appreciated it. Well, you'll forgive me if I have just a, the, sm- the smallest eye roll at the richest man in, in Greenwich sponsoring a party for people only in Greenwich. That's fair, and, but I have to um, tell but you. But I, right. I, don't, I don't look. There are lots of people in Greenwich who, uh, who, who make normal salaries, but, um, you know, I'd like to see him sponsor the Bridgeport Town Party. Um, put it that way. Okay, that's fair. We're chatting with Rob Copeland. Rob, before I let you go, there was a terrible tragedy that befell the family when – uh, Ray Dalio's son crashed into a uh, part. He crashed into a little shopping center in the plate glass window, and he died. And we didn't really hear much about it. I, I'm trying to remember if the son's name was Devin or Desi, something with a D. And Devin. Devin. Okay. And that was a terrible tragedy. Tell us a little bit about. Did that have a profound impact on? Ray Dalio and his principals and his wife, and how has he managed since then? And was that was that man going to be the heir apparent to Ray's fortune? Tell us a little bit about that. So Devin, alone among Ray's children, uh, actually worked at Bridgewater for much of his career, mm-hmm. and and Ray was really just as tough on Devin um, as he was at anyone at at Bridgewater. Um, you are right. Uh, you know, Devin died under these um, very strange circumstances. Um, I, I intentionally in the book, you know, did not want to focus on uh, on Ray's personal life in that way. Um, but it's really interesting that after Devin's death, Ray says that he uses it as an excuse to talk about the principles again and to just constantly say the principles have helped me in, in healing. Um, 
uh, to me, that is that is a that's a very sad uh, moment because it's something that I wish on no parent. Um, and to use that as an excuse to then just to flog your own book again, particularly since Devin had been so acutely impacted by you know Ray's behavior inside Bridgewater for so many years, um, I thought that was just quite telling. When you look at the principles yourself, do any of them, Rob, stand on their own as what you think would be good principles to live your life by? Yes, m- many of them do, and it's why so many people um, are, are sort of hooked in because on their face, you know, the idea that we should give each other frank feedback and be honest with one another um, and allow ourselves to be less maybe emotional um, in, in the workplace, there's an a- appeal to that. Um, and I, too, you know, we've all had moments in our life, you know, you feel the rush um, of, of like one side of your brain pushing you in one direction. And even though you, you know it's the wrong instinct, you, you like have to give in. So I, I understand the principles in that, that respect. Um, but I just have to say that the, the actual application of them for many decades has just been so um, gory that um, it, it's just a reminder that we, we can all be swept up into these sort of personality-based organizations. Um, none of us are above them. Um, you sort of have to be constantly vigilant about that. And is there a future for Bridgewater after Ray leaves? Well, that's a big question. They've shrunk a lot since he's left. Um, and part of the, the the book gets into how he you know, embarrassed anyone who possibly could have um, uh, succeeded him. The, let's be clear, the fund has performed extremely poorly, relatively speaking, for the last 15 years or so. So, I mean, I guess it's a credit to Ray that it's still it's still around to begin with because uh, you know there's plenty of financiers in Fairfield County who would not have been able to survive that kind of run for that long. Rob Copeland, the book is the fund. It's all about Ray Dalio. It's got a point of view and exposes a lot of facts and information you haven't heard before. Rob, thank you so much for being on the Lisa Wexler show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your journalism. Thank you. Pleasure. And thank you. We're going to be right back. Senator Blumenthal will be joining us in the next hour. Other guests as well. Elsa Nunez, the president of Eastern Connecticut State University. You're listening to the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.